Welcome to The Green Room, a regular podcast where we take a look at the world through a two-lane lens. I'm Ryan Rivette, and I'll be your host today as we look back at the events of late August 2005. Of course, we're talking about Hurricane Katrina and her aftermath. While most people have some knowledge of Tulane's Katrina story, those are probably just the broad strokes, the big picture. As with any big narrative, Tulane's Katrina story is a compilation of many different experiences. Because Tulane is a research university, we decided it would be interesting to find out what happened at a couple of those research facilities and ask how they kept the research machine running following the storm and the flooding caused by the levee failures. My first stop was to head downtown to the medical school to talk to John Clements. He's a professor and the chair of the Department of Microbiology and Immunology. After hearing the call for a mandatory evacuation from then-Mayor Ray Nagin, Clements packed up his family and headed west for Texas. They had to drive all the way to Tyler, Texas, a town halfway between Shreveport and Dallas before he could find a place to hole up. As soon as he saw it was unfolding in New Orleans, Clements started making calls. The first thing I started trying to do was find all of my faculty members. We had no way to locate people and the 504 area code was down. No one expected that. No one anticipated that we would be without communication. No one expected that we wouldn't be able to email one another because our two-lane servers would be down. I managed to get in touch with one of my friends and colleagues and an individual who at the time was the vice president for research for Tulane University, and that was Laura Levy. And she indicated to me that there was a group of individuals who were coming back into town whose primary job would be to actually look after the animals that were left in the vivarium. And I asked if I could tag along because I was interested in knowing what the status of the research enterprise was here. For the most part, I want these people to tell their own stories, but I'll interrupt here and there to make the time frame clearer throughout. This first foray into New Orleans was September 6th, a week or so after Katrina made landfall. We started going floor to floor to see what the status was of the research material that was left behind. And by that time, the power had been out for some time. We felt to realize that the water was not what killed us down here. What killed us as a research institute was the loss of power for a long period of time. So anything that was in a freeze, freezer, a refrigerator, an incubator, or on the bench top was likely to be lost. But we had an opportunity to save the stuff that was in the liquid nitrogen cylinders as lo- if we could get to them in time before they ran out. The problem was that you need these big refill tanks in order to refill the liquid nitrogen cylinders, and the cylinders were still in everybody's laboratories. I came back to Texas that very next day. Uh, I got back in touch with Laura, and I asked if I could come back in again, only this time bring in a group of individuals whose job it would be to find those liquid nitrogen cylinders and relocate them to a common place, which we did. And in fact, so Clements drove back to Texas to grab some supplies, turned around almost immediately to go back to Tulane's downtown campus. His group entered on September 8th and stayed until the job was done. This was not a pleasant circumstance. There was still four feet of water in the building. So we had to ford our way in. There was no power, there was no security, but we had a group of really hardworking people that went door to door, floor to floor, went to every laboratory in this building, our 1430 building in the JBJ. We went over to the uh, Tidewater building with the people from the School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. We located the liquid nitrogen cylinders and we relocated them all to a common place. In this case, the common place was the second floor of the J. Mitted Johnson building. And we had essentially 
a liquid nitrogen farm there. Well, the problem was that you have to get these big, tall liquid nitrogen refill cylinders in. There's still four feet of water in the building. And no one is coming into downtown New Orleans. We're still under quarantine, you know, we're, we're essentially under martial law for all intent and purposes. But I finally managed to contact a company up in North Louisiana who would come down with one of those big steak bed trucks and could ford the water. And he brought me 10 of those big liquid nitrogen cylinders. But I still have to get them up to the second floor. And the loading dock is underwater. So I got one of the elevator guys, the facilities guys, to go down and he actually sort of cross-wired some of the elevator circuits in order to get me power off of the generator to the elevator. I say we're standing waist deep in sewage contaminated water with these electrical contacts in his hands. I'm not sure that's entirely true, but that's the mental image I have of getting power to the elevator so I could get those 10 cylinders up to the second floor and we could start the process of topping off those tanks. We looked at the estimates at the end. We saved probably 150 to $250 million worth of research assets by getting in early and managing to stabilize those tanks. More importantly, we saved people's research careers because the, in many cases that represented decades worth of research that were in those tanks. The members of this department, the faculty, the staff, the students, postdocs in this department did an extraordinary thing. And from my perspective, I don't think the university fully appreciates what they did and they may not be able to, but they put their personal and professional lives on hold in order to help everyone else bring their personal and professional lives back after Katrina. I don't think anybody fully appreciates that. I mean, that the university would put that kind of trust in a small group of people to be able to do these extraordinary things, I thought was remarkable. You know, Scott did, Laura did, you know, the entire administration did at the time. And, uh, and if they had not done that, I don't know if we would have, uh, if we would have come back at all because if everyone had lost everything, I don't think there would have been a way to recover. Due to the work of Clement's group, Tulane was able to open the JBJ building in November of 2005, and the building at 1434 Tulane Avenue by March of 2006. Clements and that group spent the lion's share of those first few months living on site and making sure that the machines kept humming. Not all Tulane's research facilities were affected by the floodwaters in New Orleans. At the Tulane National Primate Center, across Lake Pontchartrain in Covington, Katrina's wrath was wind, not water. The pine forest surrounding the center took a beating, with trees snapping like matchsticks. Andrew Lackner is the center's director, and here's his description of what happened after the storm. The first thing that happened after the storm was we had to get to the animals, chainsaws, bulldozers, and get over there, and the animals were okay. We actually didn't lose a single animal. We didn't lose any animals, we didn't lose any people. We didn't lose any samples. I remember at one point, you know, they're clearing the power line. Uh, you know, uh, somebody from the power company comes walking down and says, no, stop, you can't do that. It's like, okay. They left, they finished. <laughs> because you had, you had to get out. And it wasn't, you know, it's like, well, when is somebody gonna be here? Oh, we don't know. And, um, you know, and in fact, it was 18 days. You know, after the storm, we were really isolated. We, you know, we had, there was no television, no radio, cell phones were gone. You know, New Orleans was at the heart of it all. People on the outside were watching all this on CNN and everything else. And we were in the penumbra. I mean, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't have television. 
I mean, when it really hit me was one of the mornings I walked outside and was going from one building to another to meet people and you know talk about what where we were, what the plans were for the day, what we what the problems were that we needed to tackle. And um, I heard a noise and I looked up and there was a a, a tanker refueling two helicopters midair. At one point in time, I, I worked very near a, an Air Force base and. You know, so I, I knew what I was looking at and I realized, you know, that's, something's got to be really, really wrong. Uh, it's not just that, you know, we had a hurricane and we've, we're going to lose, we have no power for a few days. Something's got to be really wrong. We, we just didn't know. We never, we never left. We never, you know, the, the, the research basically stopped. Um, and it was all about making sure that the facilities and the animals and the labs and everything were able to come back up um, as soon as we got external power back and that people were able to come back to work. But, you know, so what that meant was we, we didn't leave. On a normal day like today, um, the scientists and the researcher came. Everything, they, that's the priority and everything serves that. Um, you know, when you're in a situation like that, um, everything flips upside down. So, you know, the scientists aren't here. It's a matter of preserving the science and then making sure that the facility and the resources are, are remain alive so that the scientists can come back. It's more about the animals. The non-human primates are, I mean, there aren't that many of them. Their centers like this are very unique. You've got, you know, this incredibly unique resource in terms of the animals and the facility and the animals that you're caring for. Um, and, you know, worst case, I can get up and walk away. They can't. It upped the stakes in, in, in the regard that I felt, and I think most people here did, you felt very um, responsible for the facility, for the animals, for the people, and failure wasn't an option. Yeah, there you have it. Just a couple of what are probably hundreds of Tulane Katrina stories. While the revisiting of those dark days in 2005 may be troubling, it shows that when people are confronted with a seemingly insurmountable challenge, they can pull together and make it happen. Anyway, that's our show. I want to give a special thanks to Drs. Clements and Lackner for sharing their stories with us, and thank you for listening. We hope you join us again next time in the Green Room. <laughs>